Uh, I remember um, about 20 years ago or 15 years ago or so, I was ministering in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I had come across this organization or really this company or this business uh, where I, they did something kind of special and unique that most businesses weren't doing, uh, and they were a graphic design kind of a business, and this graphic design business decided that they would do free work, uh, free services and free work, free printing, free making of banners, free flyers for any church planting uh, church in the Bay Area. And so if you were in their proximity and you were a church plant and you came to them and said, hey, we want to make these flyers because we're starting this church, they'd do it for free. Hey, we need like five banners because we're going to do this unveiling ceremony where we unleash our church. They would do that for free. And I thought, wow, that's really, it was really interesting that here's this organization that said we're going to actually help kind of, uh, 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 you know, uh, organizations that had a Christ-like worldview. We're going to help them and we're going to do it free of charge. And I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting, but, but I, I bet you the, 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 the owner must be a believer or a Christian or something like that's going on. But then I started thinking, how, how can you do that? How can you continue to do that? There are so many church plants and so many organizations that, that kind of promote Jesus Christ. So how in the world can you continue to do that and sustain your business moving forward? And so as I dug a little deeper and find out what's the, what's the deal behind this business doing this, I learned that actually the owner had a crisis of conscience a little earlier that kind of propelled him to do this. And I'd like to describe that for you. It's a crisis of conscience of, of what he was doing business-wise that propelled him to eventually say, I'm going to give free work to churches, especially church plants or any kind of Christian organization. If they promote Christ, I'll do the work for free. I'll print them for free. I'll do all this stuff for free. And so as I learned more about this crisis of conscience, what happened was there was another business or another organization that had enlisted his services, his company's services, to do graphic design. Now that was unheard of. He was actually a, a company that had a big, really, really wide-known, well-reputation. And so the idea that mouth to mouth to mouth would go around and you should get this company to do your graphic services and your printing and all that kind of stuff, that wasn't unheard of at the time. So of course that would happen, but this particular organization... I'm going to be very careful as I say this. This particular organization profited off of sexual vice. And so here he is, and I, I got this, this uh, I got my company, and we do graphic design services and printing, all these things. And then there's this other organization, this company, that says, we would like to enlist your services, but we profit off of sexual vice. And this is the kind of establishment that, that while it's legal in society to have this uh, business, it probably isn't the type of environment where a Christ follower should be. Amongst you can read through the lines one time here. So it's one of those places where I, I, I probably should not attend if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And yet this organization has now enlisted his services to do graphic designs and flyers and whatnot to promote that business. So you can well imagine this business guy was like, man, I, I'm in a little bit of a conundrum. Do I do, I do this or do, do I refuse service in the public square for something that I believe in or that triggers me privately or religiously? And as he was going through this, do I refuse service in the public square for something that's uh, of a private nature and a religious nature and inside myself? And, and we're not in the habit of refusing anybody in the public square services. We're not in the habit of doing that. And we live in a litigious culture. And so if I were to do that here, I have to be prepared for a long legal battle and all the costs of that legal battle. And now my business is on the line and my family's 
you know, uh, well-being is on the line. And so, and I understand that some people are built for that kind of fight and ready to go. And that's why God, you know, that's why God made me here for this fight. And let's take it to the Supreme Court and all that kind of stuff. You know, and then some people are like, you know what? Uh, maybe because of our legislative culture, maybe we'll oblige the work and then redeem it in some other way. And so the way that he worked this out in his mind, he said, you know what we'll do? We'll make sure that every hour of work done for anything that is of a vice, vice kind of a nature, any hour of work, we will log it down. Any, any profits of that work, we will log it down and we'll redeem it later by doing this. If you are a church plant, we have plenty of work, free work and free uh, uh, materials that we can give you. So whatever I have to do over here that I'm not excited about doing, I can redeem over here by giving free work, free artistic design, free graphics, free printing for church plants and organizations that are running towards Christ. And that was the way that he said, you know what, I'm going to take my faith and, and, and I'm going to apply it to my life. And in the process of applying it to my life, I, it may come across a little countercultural. It may come across a little different. Like some people might look on that decision and say, why do you do that? Money's money, business, business. Just do what you need to do. You know, that, that, you just make money. That's a, you know, it's, a, it's a business principle. You're talking about religious principle. The two are separate. And, and, and he said, no, I'm going to find a way that I'm going to meld these two together. And in the cross section there, I'm going to try my hardest to, to make sure that my faith somehow invades my life. And now, everybody does this in your, in your own life. You do this yourself, whether you do it personally in your family life, whether you do it in your career, or whether you do it as a business owner. Whatever you, you, we all have this responsibility as Christ followers to say, where does this faith intersect into my life? And in the process of trying to ask the question, where does it intersect into my life, you probably will come out in some way, form, or another looking and living counterculturally. Uh, we could say another way of saying that is me morally. Uh, because of my moral stances on these things, I'm going to act differently than maybe others would act. And people will notice and question you on it. Maybe it's when you refuse to cut corners at work. Uh, even though you know that it can get you ahead, and then your department gets on top of you too, because if you would cut the corners, then our, our department would hit our collective goals, and because you're not cutting the corners, we're not, re, we're not, we're not, we're not hitting the, the collective goals that we would all benefit together, and you say, no, I can't do that. I can't lie like that. I'm not going to cut the corner. I can't do it because of who I am. Oh, come on, just do it. Everybody's doing it. It's no big deal. Can't do it. Maybe it's when you refuse to leave the marriage and people would say, well, why did you stay? Surely I would have left by now in your situation. Or maybe the, the, the marriage is dissolved and, and this divorce has gone final, but at the same time you're thinking, if, if there's just a chance, a chance of reconciliation in the future, I haven't moved on yet because I, I, want, I want the chance of reconciliation and until the other party remarries, there's still a chance. And people ask you, well, why are you staying? Why aren't you moving on? Well, you see, I have this thing inside of me where this, my faith road kind of hits real life and I meld them together and I might look like a little different than the rest of society. I might live counterculturally to the rest of society. I might live in a moral fashion and in a way that society goes, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why haven't you moved on? In fact, you might be a skeptic here today and you say, I don't understand what makes these Christians tick. I don't understand like, why they do what they do. What propels them to do what they do? What compels them to live the way they live? Do they think they're all perfect? So clearly we do not think we're all perfect. Now we know we're not perfect. But what makes them live differently? And if you're here asking that question, wondering that question, it's a great Sunday to be because that's the question we're going to tackle today. We're going to look at what compels people to live counterculturally. 
what motivates their every step, what moves their heart to live differently. How do they order their steps and who stimulates their transformation? What prompts their practices and how does their transformation take off? And for that, we're going to be in your Bible in Galatians chapter 5. I'd like to open it right now. Galatians chapter 5. If you have a, a phone with you, open it up. If you have your Bible with you, I'm using the ESV. We'll look at verses 13 through 26 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have it on the screen. But I would encourage you to get a Bible. Start marking it up and start uh, using this as the primary vehicle and compass in life. We put it up here. We place ourselves underneath. At some point or another, every one of us in the room will feel challenged by that thing. And we say we're going to submit our lives to it and we will be better for it when we do. And so we're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. And really the question that we already started asking that we're going to see the, the text answers today. What compels Christ followers to live counterculturally? Another way to say that is what compels or motivates or propels uh, believers in Jesus Christ to live morally? Why are they doing this? Why do they live so differently than everybody else out there? And the first thing we're going to see is they do so because they have a desire to walk in step with the Spirit. They have a desire to walk in step with the Spirit. And, and we're going to read about that, and then we're going to define that together and, and see what exactly that means. So uh, they desire to walk in step with the Spirit, verses 13 through 18. Let's read together. It says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, the whole context of the book of Galatians has been leading to this point where you're free. You have no more rules. Remember, we're going through this. You don't have to abide by the law of Moses. It's been fulfilled in Christ. It's been abolished in Christ. And so he's saying, now we know we're free, brothers. But, but only do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law was fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That word is love. In fact, if you would just focus on love, you would, do, you would never encroach on any of the 600 uh, commands in the, in the Old Testament. Because you are just focusing on love, you'll solve all of them. Because basically those commandments are written for the antithesis of love in life. But if you will bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by each other. Alternatively, but I say walk in the what? Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But I say you are, there it is again, led by the spirit. You're not under the law. So when you're living this way, you're not under the law. In fact, you are led by the Spirit. You are, you are walking by the step Spirit. You are keeping in step with the Spirit. Here's the Spirit of God would want me to do. He's ordering my steps. I'm walking towards those things. What compels Christ followers to live counterculturally or to live a moral life, number one is a desire to walk in step with the Spirit. And again, the whole context has been, I've been defending this freedom that we have in Christ, that the grace of God overcomes all sin. And all of you guys who have been trying to do this, this, this add-up list where you add up my dues, my dues, my dues, my dues, and now my don'ts, my don'ts, my don'ts, everything that I did and didn't do, that somehow if my goods outweigh my bads, all of a sudden I'm worthy of this God, it's absolutely crazy to think of that way. If my goods outweigh my bads, then I'm deserving of the almighty God? No, you can't. No, 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 no. Goods outweigh bads is a matter of thing when he's perfect. 
You'll never measure up to him. And so you've been ranking yourself on this list of the things I do do and the things that I don't do. And so therefore, that's why God accepts me. And wait a second, when the evaluator is between me and you, maybe I look pretty good. But when the evaluator is between me and God, I'll never look good. And so he's been saying, you're free from all that. When you, when you place faith in Jesus Christ, you become free from all those things. And now the evaluator becomes because of Christ's righteousness on the cross. He puts it on your account. He takes your sin, takes your sin, and puts it on the cross. God satisfies his wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross. And so, therefore, you are now free from all those obligations because he has satisfied the evaluation for you. He's made you righteous. And so he said, you're free from all that. But in the process of being free from all that, now he's switching and saying, let me tell you what that freedom should never do. It should never lead to a life of license. Uh, We've been talking to this point about legalism. How do I measure my goods and wrongs and and measure myself? Am I I good enough? Legalism, I can be good enough for God. In my own works, I can be good enough for God. Never going to happen. He says no. Three chapters, he's been saying no. And now he's going to talk about license. Does this freedom lead to license? And it goes this way. Uh, Well, now that God has died for me and I have forgiveness of my sin, shouldn't I go out and just do whatever the heck I want to do? And then God will forgive me again, and in the process of him forgiving me, he gets more glory. In fact, you can write down Romans chapter 6, exactly what it's about. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Certainly not, emphatically not, is, is the idea in Romans 6. Shall we go on sinning? Shall I keep on doing wrong things so that when I ask for forgiveness, God gets glory for me not doing those things anymore, or for me for, 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 me for asking for forgiveness? He gets glory when he forgives me. And so therefore, I should keep on doing those things, right? Absolutely not. And that's where he's going now in the rest of this uh, book of Galatians. Should, this, should the grace of God lead to a license of life? If, in fact, the law was abolished in Jesus Christ and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, then why does anyone have to live morally? That's the question he's asking or answering. Why does anybody have to live morally? What compels people to live morally and live counterculturally? Does the grace of God produce children of obedience or children of license, or what I like to call get out of jail free card Christians? You know? Did God just give me a get out of jail free card so I can do whatever I want to do on Friday and Saturday night and come to church? I'm sorry. And I keep on going, and I just repeat this pattern over and over and over again. Or does the grace of God actually produce obedience in, their, in children, in his children? That's what he's talking about. And he's saying this freedom should never lead to license. In fact, the grace of God can produce something that the law could never produce. And that is just the grace of God produces a heart in the believer to desire to obey. I want to obey this God, not that I'm perfect, and not that I get it right every time, and not that I don't fall on my face a lot of the times, but I desire to live for this God because he's living inside of me, and he's done so much wonderful things. I actually desire, the law could never produce that. According to Galatians in our own book, he said the law only produced more sin. It just made more sin, more sin, more sin. No, no, the grace of God gives you an inborn desire to want to live after this God. And in the process, you'll fulfill the law because the spirit of God inside of you is causing this little voice. Why don't you love one another? Why don't you love each other? Don't be at each other's throats. Love each other. 
It's a freedom that overcomes the flesh. And I want to look at verse 16 through 18 again. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're warring against each other is the idea. Big tug of war in your heart. These, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You ever felt that way? Man, I really want to, but man, I get held back. Oh, I really want to. I get held back. There's a tug of war in your heart. But if you are led by the who? You are not under the law. And so the idea is there's a tug of war going on inside, but the Spirit of God is the solution to that tug of war that's going on inside. I always like to go back to 1980s sitcoms on this. Um, you know, whether it's like, you know, different strokes or silver spoons or, uh, you know, uh, Webster's.